It works. <laughs> Maybe. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, indeed. And we're both drinking sparkling water. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we won't be burping on Mike the whole episode. Whatever. It's quarantine. And Do what we want. To harken back to the beginning of our show, gas happens. <laughs> that was so long ago. Oh my God. We've done so many episodes. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Before we start in on today's episode, we just want to say thank you to our newest patrons for their support. And so we're going to shout them out right now. Hell yeah, we are. We've got our newest bad bitch, Lada G. Thank you so much for your monthly support. We really appreciate it. And we have two, two new good witches on board. Um, One is Chrissy C. Thank you so much for your support. And the other is Matt Struck. So we have the coolest patrons and coolest listeners, and thank you guys so much for your support. It really means the world to us and helps us be able to pay the basic fees of, of creating this podcast. So it's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys. So thank you so, so much. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Here we are. And doing our thing. And this is the podcast. This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Oh, right. I guess we could introduce it now, couldn't we? We could. (laughs) Uh, I'm Hannah. I'm Deanna. And uh, yeah, you're listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Uh, Quarantine edition number something, uh, something, you know? Week. Blah, 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 blah. Week, (laughs) million and a half. That's right. Very um, precise. Oh, scheduling there alex took a picture of our first recording session it was february 24th alex took a picture of our first recording session from february 24th 2018 Mm -hmm. wow oh we missed our birthday (laughs) we did we've come a long way baby we've come so so far but you know what hasn't changed what our love of ladies throughout history Our love of shooting the shit about these ladies in a very (laughs) casual way, in a very not safe for work way. Yep. I I think that will always remain. A lot of F-bombs, a lot of Wikipedia. A lot of potentially unprofessionalism, but fun. But a lot of love. Yeah, a lot of heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, so with that being said... You want me to get started? Yeah, because I think I I like this. I like not worrying too much about an intro right now just because the world's weird. Um, So, yeah, I want to hear about your lady. About the lady of the week, which, okay, so preface to this, of course, for listeners, because you may have noticed that we just had our 100th episode last week. So you would think this would be episode 101, but it is not because we are returning to and re-recording an episode of a lady that got lost during our time period that we had all these technical issues. 
Yep. And she fits in quite well with Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month because she herself is an Asian American woman, was an Asian American woman. And hopefully enough time has passed in between the last time we recorded this episode <laughs> so that some of it will still be surprising and enjoyable for Hannah. Uh, yeah, I remember her being very surprising. Yeah. So I, I have no doubt. So, yeah. yeah. So this week, I want to talk about Tura Satana. Who is an Which is a name actress, I had not heard. Yeah. A cult actress. Um, and my sources come from Wikipedia, from cultsirens.com. No author credited there. Um, and her uh, obituary from New York Times and The Guardian. Uh, New York Times was written by Dave Itzkoff. And The Guardian was written by Pat Long. Awesome. So here we go. Let's just dive right in. Do it. So even today, we can see Tura Satana's influence in pop culture, um, even though not everybody may necessarily know who exactly she is. Yeah. she. I had no idea. Yeah. She portrayed the role of Varla in the movie Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Um, as a brazenly violent but unapologetically feminine woman who frequently upbraids the men who dare to ogle her. And that <laughs> earned her a cult following that has endured long after the drive-in era. Um, you can see her influence in pop culture artifacts like Xena, Warrior Princess, and also Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. uh, Quentin Tarantino clearly loved her because, you know, also Death Proof. Like those types yeah. of women who are hell-bent on revenge or women who are, you know, seeking justice through their own hands and yeah. being just basically badass, intimidating, beautiful, awesome women. That's and a her. little busty, too. Oh, she was very busty. <laughs> I think I was boobs. thinking of Xena uh -huh. and how, like, so something that was so integral to Xena was just that she was, like, buxom but also badass. Yeah. And I feel like that's... That's Tura Satana. Yeah. So um, she was born Tura Luna Pascual Yamaguchi in Hokkaido, Japan on July 10th, 1938. Uh, her father was a Japanese silent movie actor of Filipino descent. And her mother. Oh, yeah. yeah. And her mother was a circus performer of Native American Cheyenne <laughs> and Scots Irish descent. I don't know why I. I have forgotten that part because it's so outrageous. I mean, what, that her dad was a silent film star and her mom was a circus performer. Yes. It's so, it just, it's, I feel like it's the perfect setup for who she ultimately was. Yeah. But at the same time, she didn't, or at least from what I remember, I, I hope I'm not telling your story for you, but like, she didn't really know that part of them, that part of their lives. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's it's interesting that she's like born to um, performers. This performer. Yeah, this well, performing family. She found her way into performance in a kind of circuitous sort of way. It's not like she moved to L.A. to be an actress, as we'll find out as we delve in. She kind of yeah. went a different route and just kind of stumbled into it. Um, I guess that's kind of what I what I was remembering is just that it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was like, okay, well, 
mommy's a circus performer, so you're going to, you know, grow up and be a circus performer, too. Or daddy's an actor, so you're going to do that, too. Like, mm-hmm. it was sort of independent of them, but just in her blood still. Yeah. Um, definitely. So here we go. Uh, her family moved to the United States in 1942. Uh, mm-hmm. So she would have been about four or five. Uh, three or four, I guess. She was born in 38. Um, but as soon as they moved, um, Tura and her father were interned for two and a half years in the Manzanar internment camp for Japanese Americans in California, which, of Jesus. course, we have detailed um, in depth uh, in, I think, episode, hold on, now that I'm right here, 11, about Aiko mm-hmm. Herzig Yoshinaga. Um, really terrible time in the United States history. And hey, imagine putting children in cages. That Not like that we ever learned from that. Yeah, it's a super I, shameful thing we seem to be keen to keep repeat. doing. Anyway. Um, yeah, so they were interned for two and a half years, but obviously since the mother was Native American and white, she was not interned. So their family right. got separated for those two and a half years. Oh. And um, after they were released, uh, the whole family moved to Chicago. Um, but of course, you know, anti-Japanese sentiment and feeling was really prevalent regardless of where you were in the United States. Um, so she was bullied all the time at school and had a really hard time with kids making fun of her. Also, presumably because she was mixed race. So I think that that, especially in the forties, was something that people really... Went to town right. with as a, as a thing they could make fun of you for, because kids are well, rude that way yeah. sometimes. It's like we were talking about um, Vicky Manalo last week. She yeah. dealt with the same thing. It, it was, you know, the 30s and 40s when she was... People did uh, not understand why yeah. you would want to marry outside of your race. Right. As if love is something that can be controlled that way. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And... Uh, quick you know assault trigger warning sexual assault trigger warning coming up here so skip ahead a minute or so if if that's something that's going to bother you but um one evening when she was nine years old she was almost 10 she went she was sent out by her mother to buy some bread and on the way home she was raped by a group of five men at the age of nine. Oh god um and according to Tura, Ugh. her attackers were never prosecuted. Um, apparently, she thinks that the judge was paid off. And and the, probably wouldn't have even needed to be at that time. Right. Because, you know, she was probably asking for it or some shit like that. Right. At the age of nine. Ugh. It's gross. Yeah, it's real gross. But um, as a result, she was prompted to learn martial arts from her father. So she learned Aikido (laughs) and karate to protect herself. Um, But she also had a very keen eye for revenge because fuck those guys. Um, And over the next 15 (laughs) years of her life, she apparently tracked down every single one of her rapists and quote, unquote, exacted revenge. Which we aren't sure. We don't know exactly what that means because yeah. she's always been a little <laughs> bit coy about it. But um, presumably, she just beat the living hell out of. She never all went of to them. jail. No, she right? never went to jail. 
So, so we, I mean, we talked uh, the last time we taped it that we assumed she didn't kill any of them because she admitted to what she did. And if she had said murder, then. Yeah, we'd be. Uh, she might be have gone story. to jail, maybe. Um, yeah. But I, I am curious <laughs> just because I, I don't know. It's so much time to spend looking for the people who hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that urge must have been very strong. Oh, yeah. She actually said, um, quote, I made a vow to myself that I would someday, someday, somehow get even with all of them. And they never knew who I was until I told them. So Ugh. I don't know if that means like she beat the shit out of them. And then at the end was like, by the way, I'm that little girl. <laughs> Or if she said it beforehand, but anyway, they didn't recognize her. I, I wonder if she even, like, because she was, like, stunningly gorgeous, if she, like, did some sort of honeypot situation where she lured them in and then was like, by the way, I'm going to beat the shit out of you now. Either way, it's so cinematic. Actually, it kind of makes me think of that um, that movie that's coming out with Carrie Mulligan. Oh, you know yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like a very promising Young woman yeah, promising like, young woman. Yeah, and she kind of does that where yeah. she's like she's exacting revenge against rapists, and she lures them in and then tells them who she is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel it just feels like something out of a movie. Turo's whole life feels like something out of a movie, and yeah, this is, it's absolutely something that they should turn into a film because yeah, as I'm about to mention. Uh, when she was in Chicago in her early teens, she formed a girl gang. Ugh, this is so the cool. 1950s, <laughs> like greaser era, an all girl gang. They were called the Angeles. I don't know if that's Ooh. has a connection to her being in California at any point or whatever, but that's what they called themselves. And her gang was made up of Italian, Jewish and Polish girls from her neighborhood. Um, which wow. it's like all children of the immigrant population that was being discriminated against at the time. Yep. Um, but yeah, so like, obviously that would be perfect for a fucking movie. Like, hello. It she, writes itself. She it's... even said we had leather motorcycle jackets, jeans and boots, and we kicked butt. Ugh. Like, Ugh. Come on. It sounds amazing God. to me. I want to know what their what their like core tenets as a as a girl gang was like, like what they what, what their they duties for? were <laughs> yeah what they stood for what they, what did they put up with yeah I don't know Ugh. what sort of initiation gotta, you had mm-hmm. to get in or we got to look up yeah. this gang but um so yeah she was a she was a tough bad girl as a teen uh, and because of her. It frequent delinquency with air quotes <laughs> uh she got sent to reform school um i think oh shit yeah she i think she just kept getting in fights and maybe was getting in trouble with the law and her parents were just like okay go take care of this <laughs> we gotta reform you we gotta get this out of you which i mean yes and no clearly she then continued for years and years to beat the shit out of the dudes who assaulted her so yeah, I don't know that reform school is has ever been like the cure all that people seem to think it's gonna be. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but oh, so back backtracking just a quick sec. When she was thirteen, thirteen, her parents arranged marriage for her to a seventeen-year-old man, kid, Ugh. boy named John Satana. 
who was in Mississippi, which is a big old yikes moment for me. But I guess like with uh, your parents consenting, you can basically do whatever you want at this time. I don't know. Um, you can still. I mean, in some still. states, yeah, you can still. Yeah, it's real, real, real gross. But yeah, so but that marriage obviously did not last. It lasted for nine months, apparently. I can't believe it like went through at all. She was 13. That's yeah. so fucking weird. And like, why would they make her get married and then let her get divorced like right away? That's so I strange. I have no I idea. Just like, oh, God. You should have known better, parents. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I don't think... I have a feeling her parents weren't terribly involved in her life in some way. Like, it, it doesn't really say much. But, I mean, they did arrange this marriage for her, but then it ended. And by the time she was 14, she was appearing in Illinois nightclubs as a burlesque dancer and nude model at 14. So, like, Man. your parents have to be, I think, pretty, uh, like, not interested in your life to not know this information so maybe yeah maybe the, maybe the marriage was about getting her off their hands out of their hair uh, yeah i and, don't know uh, like if you're 13 and then you get a divorce at you know 14 are you then emancipated technically or do you go back to your parents I have no care? idea and it doesn't even Man. necessarily say that she got a divorce they just like the marriage ended but I, she does get oh. married later in life but i don't know when she actually officially got a divorce Right. But oh. I don't know. Anyway. Interesting. She's dancing so in clubs. Weird. I mean, obviously she lied about her age because I don't think you could be a nude model at 14, even at that time. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. But as we pre- previously mentioned, she grows up to be a very buxom, tall busty lady so i'm sure yep. at you know the age of 14 <laughs> she had already you know when i was 14 i was already like five nine and and you oh know, yeah you know looked more grown up than i was when i was 12 people thought i was 16 and when i was 16 people thought i was 20 so i'm sure she had yeah. like a similar situation yeah. and so i think since she was already i guess in bloom at the age of 14 <laughs> I like she probably that. just lied about her age and they didn't care and were like cool like, I don't yeah. know if maybe well, yeah. if you had to be 18 or not at the time. And if she's not white, I doubt they gave as much of a shit. That's true, too. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was clearly a don't ask, don't tell type of situation. Yeah. Um, her burlesque act combined martial arts displays with the usual tassel twirling. <laughs> of course. Yes. So she was able to, <laughs> to you know, infuse her her martial arts training into her burlesque shows, which is kind of cool to think about. That is really cool. Um, Then she moved to LA, to Los Angeles, um, and she was 15 at this time, and she got a fake ID and continued underage burlesque dancing in LA. Um, God. I I would assume in California they probably had slightly stricter laws, but I don't know. That's just me pulling that out of my ass. But if she had a fake ID and boobs, they're probably like, great, you're good. Um, yeah, and depending on where she's dancing. Yeah. Um, so she was there for a little while. Um, she was hired to perform at the Trocadero Trocadero nightclub on the Sunset Strip, and she became a photographic model for, among others, um, silent screen comic Harold Lloyd. Um, and Harold Lloyd oh, has yeah. a really awesome book called uh, Hollywood Nudes in 3D, and that's a book I own, and I've showed it to you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he had like all these really classy, awesome photographs of Hollywood starlets or models. Um, I presume that by this time, Tura was at least 18 because otherwise they wouldn't show up in this book. Um, right. So I think that yeah. that's an indicator of how long she was in Los Angeles and, and dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at a certain a point, point. <laughs> uh, she went back to Chicago to live with her parents again. And she started dancing at Club Rendezvous in Calumet City where she was known as Galatea, the statue that came to life. Ooh. Because she was very tall and literally the definition of statuesque. Um, And she was offered a raise to become a stripper. I don't know if she took that (laughs) raise or not. (laughs) Um, Wow. Also, at a certain point, Elvis, as in Presley, saw her perform at the Chicago Follies Theater And the two began a romantic relationship that some reports say, I think she says, ended in a marriage proposal that she declined. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, no. Elvis, you poor thing. Getting your heart broken. Had his heart squashed by the the beautiful Tura Satana. She's like, I'm Mm. not ready for this yet. (laughs) No, thank you. No, I'm good. Um, So her career basically at this point was that she was a uh, an exotic dancer traveling from city to city. She was touring, dancing, making money, and she credited Harold Lloyd with giving her the confidence to pursue a career in show business. Quote, And Harold Lloyd at the time was a silent... Yeah, he was a comic er, and, a, and an actor and a photographer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what she said was, uh, quote, I saw myself as an ugly child. Mr. Lloyd said, <laughs> You have such a symmetrical face. The camera loves your face. Face, you should be seen. I, like, oh. I wonder where her lack of self-confidence came from. All the bullying she received, uh, you know, being interned as a child, being yeah. assaulted, all these things. Yeah. Uh, uh, any number of all of those things. But anyway, I'm super glad that she chose to pursue show business because the camera does love her face. Um, She made her acting debut with a cameo as a character named Suzette Wong, who was a Parisian sex worker in the film Irma La Douce, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Um, Her next role was Shocker as a dancer in (laughs) Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed with Dean Martin and Elizabeth Montgomery. And soon after that, she appeared in quick succession in the TV shows Burke's Law and The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was starting to um, get out there. Her career was starting to pick up a little bit of steam. And um, she specialized, I think, in a like a type of tough charisma that wasn't really seen in a lot of female characters at the time. I like mean, she especially, was charming, I think, Asian but she female was badass. Yeah, she was tall and trained in martial arts. And she was very imposing and intimidating and yeah. very beautiful. So... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at the time, most most roles, especially for Asian women, were intended to put forth that stereotype of um, the model minority, mm. you know, yeah. the, the, the good Asian or the docile Asian woman, like, at all of those really just well, it's either horrible that, stereotypes. The docile, submissive type or the dragon lady type, and neither are right. very you know, nice. Yeah. The accurate, uh, nice. Like n- they're, they're 
created for a specific reason. And, and it's amazing to me that she was immediately defying those things just like off the bat. Yeah. I mean, just her presence itself being super tall and, and curvy and, and yeah. like, I will kick your ass. <laughs> she straight up, she <laughs> seems do really tough. You see her and you don't want to fuck with her. Um, yeah. Cause you don't want to fuck with her. <laughs> right. Um, so then was her kind of star making role, you know, for the, the biggest role she had, which was Varla in Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And oh, so right. Varla is a very aggressive and sexual female character um, for which Tura did all of her own stunts and fight scenes. Um, Damn. Renowned film critic Richard Corliss called her performance, quote, the most honest, maybe the one honest portrayal in the Meyer canon, and certainly the scariest. Ooh. Meyer that's being a compliment. Russ Meyer, the, the director of the movie. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, the movie was originally titled The Leather Girls, and it's Ooh. an ode to female violence based on a concept created by Russ Meyer and screenwriter Jack Moran. And... Apparently, they both knew in her first audition that Tura was Varla. Just she walked in the room and they're like, yep, you. You led a girl gang once when you were 14. So I see it on your face. Yep. (laughs) Um, It was shot on location in the desert outside of Los Angeles during days when the weather was more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit and had freezing nights. Um, Apparently, Tura is random clashed regularly with her teenage co-star, Susan Bernard, because Susan's mother was apparently disruptive on set. Rude. Yeah. Don't bring your mom to set. I guess your, if she's your, a teenager, she has to. stage mom who's <laughs> driving everyone crazy. Um, she's a damn. stick in the mud. Um, Aren't they all? Russ Meyer said that Tura was, quote, extremely capable. She knew how to handle herself. Don't fuck with her. And if you have to fuck with her, do it well. She might turn on you. Because, <laughs> I mean, duh, she was a gang leader. She's a badass. She knows how to kick your ass. And she's six feet tall. So maybe don't get on her bad side. Yeah, if you decide you're going to fuck with her, know you can beat her. Otherwise, just, like, don't bother. Right. Don't try. Right. Exactly. Um, she said in an interview with the San Francisco Bay Guardian that her performance in that movie was convincing because she was essentially playing herself. Yep. She said that, it is. that she channeled a kind of controlled rage and said, I took a lot of my anger that had been stored inside for many years and I let it loose. Oh, Which makes oh. Sense. I'm glad that 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 film provided an outlet for her because like, yeah, you know, I clearly hunting down her tormentors um, didn't give her closure necessarily and therapy wasn't really a thing at the time i don't think violent revenge you know typically does give you closure yep yep feel good and necessary but i don't think it ever it doesn't solve your problem no um but so she was responsible for adding key elements to the visual style and energy of the film including her costume her makeup her usage of martial arts her dialogue and the use of spinning tires in the death scene of the main male character. Did she get a writing credit for this? I don't know. But she Ugh. did come up with many of the film's best lines. Oh, shit. She 
I mean, she's entitled to a writing credit. I, I really would, hope I she hope got so. one. Um, there is one scene where a gas station attendant is like staring at her cleavage while she's sitting in a car and she's talking <laughs> and she's uh, the gas station attendant is talking about a desire to see America, like see more of America. And her reply was, you won't find it down there, Columbus. Because <laughs> he's just ogling her chest. Like, that's not okay. Oh, my God. That's some Mae West uh that's some right? may west shit right that's some there may west shit mm-hmm. um russ meyer cited tara satana as the primary reason for the film's lasting fame quote she and i made the movie he said he uh apparently um later regretted not using her in more of his movies afterwards yeah it sounds like she was kind of pivotal for his career yeah in addition to this film like it seems weird. Well, that that he you wouldn't. know film critic too, who was like, "This is the maybe the one most honest portrayal in any of Russ Meyer's movies." Yeah, you would think that you would want to use somebody again after that. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but after that movie, uh, she was in other films like The Astro Zombies in 1968 and The Doll Squad in 1973. Ah, um, uh, yes. My favorites. Yeah. She was in a lot of B movies that are kind <laughs> of cult classic types. Um, yeah. The Doll Squad actually was her last film for a little while, and it's famous for supposedly inspiring the creation of Charlie's Angels. Oh, doll squad, like, fighting girls, not, yes. like, actual dolls. Yes. Because it pre- ah. the film presents a group of, like, female adventurers who battle it out with, like, this crazy villain who wants to, you know, take over the world. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but soon yeah. after this shoot, and the reason why she took a break from acting for a while, um, her life was, like, hit with a couple of tragedies in a row. Um, the first oh. being that she was shot in the stomach by a possessive ex. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Not Satana. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it had been many years since they had seen each other I guess, last. yeah. He didn't seem very possessive at all, did he? He let her go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, kitty. Um, but yeah, so she got shot by her former lover. Wow. And so... Oh, God. Obviously, there was a, a forced period of convalescence after that. So after she got better from being shot. Uh, she God. worked in a hospital, um, which was a position that she kept for four years. Apparently at some point wow. in her life, she studied nursing. I don't know if she was a nurse, but she worked in a hospital and had an interest in that. Um, and then she, yeah. then she worked as a dispatcher for the LAPD. That is so like, what a, what a crazy turn. Yeah. Such a strange. She stayed in Los Angeles, know. but took a break from show business because clearly scarred her a little bit it, physically, mentally, emotionally, all that. Yeah. Um, in 1981, she broke her back in a car crash. Oh, God. Which resulted in two years in and out of hospitals and tons of operations. Oh. Um, but the time where she wasn't acting in movies wasn't all bad for her. There was at one point she had two daughters. Um, who oh. she loved very much. And then uh, later she fell in love and got married to a retired L.A. cop. And he apparently was a Aww. good father to her daughters. Um, That's so lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that probably happened while she was working as a dispatcher. She 
yeah, met met him or at least was, and Yerman is his name. Was his what name. a great name. He died in two thousand and they were married up until his death. Oh. In two thousand and two, she returned to acting. Um, she was reprising the role of Malvina Satana in Mark of the Astro Zombies, which was a sequel to the Astro Zombies decades later. <laughs> um, but I don't think she oh, really did God. much acting. But at a certain point, she had enough cult status that she would go to cons and stuff like conventions and things. Yeah. Um, you can make good money doing that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And for much of her later life, she worked in hotel security in Reno, Nevada. That is um, so weird. I remember you telling me that the first time, and I, and it's just like, I get it. I get that security utilizes one of her skill sets, yeah. but it's so, it's just such a random, Yeah, I don't know. It is random. But she was a canny businesswoman, and she trademarked her image because she was famous enough to be cult famous, right? And so she had an action figure made of her. There was a Halloween mask and her face was on T-shirts and things like that. So she trademarked her face so that when people used it, she made money off of that. Um, And yeah, she was a a good natured regular at cult film conventions. And despite having a pacemaker fitted in 2003, she seemed as tough as ever. In one interview, she recounted what happened when an overenthusiastic fan hid in her hotel room after a signing. Quote, he went flying across the room and wound up with a broken arm, a busted <laughs> nose, and a badly twisted leg. The house detective <laughs> carried him out. Oh. And you boy. know he was grateful. He was like, thank you. <laughs> I got this broken bone courtesy of my amazing. favorite actor. Thank you, Tura. Thank you so I'll much. I'll never let it heal. <laughs> oh. So I love that because that's like. In the early aughts, and she was like 70 years old. Nimble you as know? fuck, man. In her 60s or 70s, still kicking ass. Um, God damn. So she she died on February 4th, 2011 in Reno. And oh. she's survived by her daughters, Kalani and Jade. Um, apparently, she just died from heart failure, is what they think. Um, she, I mean, she did have a pacemaker, so makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. She would have been 72 if she was born in 1938, but some of the sources listed her birth date as 35, which would have made her 75 hmm. years old. So she was either 72 or 75. Um, <laughs> but enough. she's had such a lasting impact on like underground pop culture, especially the music scene randomly. Uh, there's a oh, lot yeah. of bands. So there's an alternative metal band called Teresa Um <laughs> There's an Argentinian rock band named Baba Sonicos, and they have a song called Viva Satana um, about her. Um, there's a song named Song for Tura Satana um, on a Mountain Goats album. Oh. There's an Australian punk pop wow. band named Rat Cat that had a B-side, an entire B-side called Tura Satana. Um, there's a Seattle industrial band Kill Switch Click, and they released a four-song EP um, performing four different mixes of the Turisatana tribute song, Hemi Charger, like a song called about her. And there's a Las Vegas burlesque performer, and this one seems very apropos, named Elena Satana, who adopted her stage surname in tribute to Turisatana. 
Wow. I would say all of that is random, but clearly it isn't. Yeah. I don't know why specifically like rock bands, punk bands in particular, maybe because she was just so badass. I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, she made a she made a a career out of being an alternative. Yeah. Oh, alternative. Yeah. That's that makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, an ass kicker for sure. That that part of her personality and her and her shtick, I guess. I mean, she Um, is very punk rock. She kicked the shit out of a man who hid in her hotel room when she was, you know, in her 60s. She hunted down her rapists. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, no, she is. I think she's the perfect icon for um, indie and alternative music. Yeah. Like, truly. But that's Tara Satana, who we love Ugh. and stan. And that's why we've tried a few times to do an episode about her. And clearly, I, like, I love hearing about her, <laughs> even when we've talked about she's, her multiple times. She's fantastic. And yeah, I feel like more people need to know about her and like her face is very uh, singular. Like when you see her, her whole like look, it's, yeah, it's her- very iconic and it has been used and reused. Yeah. And, and it has inspired a lot. I mean, of things that you when when you when our listeners go look up her photo, either on our Instagram or on their own, like you guys will see that like you'll see the influence. Yeah, you'll you'll immediately think of the things that, you know, that she is influenced. Yeah. Like Kill Bill, you know, and Xena mm-hmm. and just basically any she basically created an archetype of a female character. Yeah. Like, that is enduring. Yeah. And it's, and that I, was I had never heard of her before you, you first brought her up. And I think, I don't know. She's another one that I would love for someone to make a freaking movie about because her life is so interesting. And obviously her psychology is so interesting. Right. Um, and I just, I think she would make such a fantastic subject for somebody yeah and i Someday. think i think there is like a um a documentary film about her that i don't think has been released but mm. um there you know you can find sources com talks about it um like john waters is a part of it dita von Teese, uh and margaret cho they're a part of this documentary about her and her life nice so if people want to like yeah. seek that out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Ugh. But Thank anyway, you. that's her. She's amazing. Hopefully, this episode actually works out. Because <laughs> I want if it people doesn't, to know about her. And if it doesn't, yeah. then clearly it's a sign from her beyond the grave that we've done mm-hmm. something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Or that her story is just too cool. Yeah. And she's too cool for just... our dinky little podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or the world. In That's general. True. That's true. You know, she's got to remain punk rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Dude, thank you. You're welcome. You want some on I this day? It. Yes, please. Okay, so there's actually a lot. Um, so... No. That was me last week. I it know. was like, there's May, so many like things. The, the fucking weather gets better and people just explode into doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so tomorrow's May 13th. Nope. Today is May 13th. <laughs> I'll try that again. Today's May 13th. Um, so May 13th, 1861. The Great Comet of 1861 is discovered by John Tebbett of Windsor, New South Wales, Australia. Ooh, yep. my goodness. Uh, 1862, the USS Planter, a steamer and gunship, steals through Confederate lines and is passed to the Union by a Southern slave, Robert Smalls, who later was officially appointed as captain, becoming the first black man to command a United States ship. Uh, that's fucking cool. Someone make a movie of that. Yeah, I think actually that sounds that sounds kind of familiar. I think maybe they did. Okay. I would hope so. I'm going to have to look that up. Remind yeah. me to look that up after this. Uh, 1888, uh, with the passage of Le Orea, Golden Law, the Empire of mm. Brazil abolishes slavery. Ah, what year was that? 1888. Okay, so 20 years after us. Basically. Uh, 1958, jumping forward. Uh, ben yes. Carlin becomes the first and only person to circumnavigate the world by amphibious vehicle, having traveled uh. <laughs> over 17,000 kilometers, 11,000 miles by sea, and 62,000 kilometers, 39,000 miles by land during a 10-year journey. Whoa. <laughs> amphibious vehicle threw me off there for a second. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Same, same vehicle that? on land and in water, I guess. <laughs> Um, ni- right. 1960, yeah. uh, 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 hundreds of University of California Berkeley students congregate for the first day of protests against a visit by the House Committee of Un-American Activities. Oh, which I what was that about? I mean, presumably they're doing some hippie shit and McCarthy and his peeps showed up. And, oh, And we're McCarthy. like, this is communism. And they're like, no, we're just, we don't agree with you. God damn it. Stop trying to make us into fascists. Anyway. Similarly, in 1989, May 13th was uh, a day that large groups of students occupy Tiananmen Square and begin a hunger strike. Whoa. So a lot of students striking in May. Yep. Um, And uh, there was a lot of depressing shit, but I wanted to end on an interesting note, I guess. 1995, Alison Hargreaves, a 33-year-old British mother, becomes the first woman to conquer Everest without oxygen or the help of Sherpas. Whoa. Which is interesting. Wow. I mean, yeah. Presumably, 
like, I don't know if maybe there's some, like, Tibetan women who did it on their own, maybe. <laughs> but. Pro- probably. But it's but... still an interesting story. Like, this woman got to the top of Mount Everest without the help of oxygen, which is insane. And without yeah. Sherpas. We're going to have to talk about her. Yeah. At some point. Although Everest, like, kind of scares the shit out of me. It should. Just the thought of it, I'm I'm so confused by people who want to spend their time going up to the top of it because it's like I don't know I it's so alien to me that concept it just well it's the terrain itself is alien I mean it's not but it is alien to my life yeah and I, that's true I'm a person who likes going on hikes and shit but John Oliver did a great piece on Everest and how. There's so many people who think it's just like a vacation that they can take and and let's climb Mount Everest. And I guess if you have enough money to pay enough Sherpas, that makes it much easier for you. But Mm -hmm. it's still incredibly dangerous. And most people, even people who are pretty physically fit, are not capable of climbing Mount Everest without straining their bodies significantly and being put through hell. yeah. But they think it's just like, oh, we'll go climb. Like, hey, I climbed Long's Peak once in Colorado. That's a 14er. Yeah. Fucking Everest is twice the height of that. And yeah. Can, there's it, so many places you can literally die. I, it's wild. The fact that so many people, their remains are still on the mountain because you can't really go up and get them down. So yeah. all of these people who scale it every year past these dead bodies is like oh god it's just so fucking creepy to me and i don't know anyway that's my weird little everest side note yep yep uh but good for alice (laughs) good for her (laughs) allison hargreaves allison hargreaves all right um and i just i haven't done birthdays in a while but there was a lot of really good ones and a lot of really weird ones so i just have to mention that tomorrow would have been b arthur's birthday she would have been 98, Aww. I think. And remind us who she is. Oh, she's on Golden Girls. She's Dorothy on Golden Girls. I was actually 98. just talking. Yeah, because she was born in 22. Wow. wow. Um, but she died in 2009. Um, it also would have been Jim Jones's birthday. Jim Jones of the Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah, yikes. Uh, tomorrow is Zoe Wanamaker's birthday, who's a fantastic British actress. You recognize who? her voice. She's on Doctor Who. Um, oh. You know her. She's got a real smoky voice. I'm going to. Um, OK. Yeah. I'm going to have to go look her up because the name didn't is super Wait, did she play Madame Hooch in Harry Potter? Oh. That sounds familiar. Yeah. She was Madame Hooch. All right. I know who that is. Yes. And you, you'd know her from Doctor Who, probably, because she was the woman with the skin, who was just skin. Yeah. Pulled tight. <laughs> yeah. Cassandra? Yes. Was yes. Who it was? Yeah. Um, Moisturize me. <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Stevie Wonder. And Stephen Colbert's birthday. Anyway. What are you excited <laughs> about, Han? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I am excited about, although... It did surprise me a little bit, but uh, Ben and I watched Never Have I Ever, okay, the Netflix show that just came out, and it is a 
like a YA show. Oh, the Mindy, Mindy Kaling, Kaling show. Wrote, yeah, and it's really funny. It's a, it's very like stylized, a la Mindy Kaling, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and just it's just a really, it's a really fun look at a teenage girl's life, but she just she happens to be Indian American, and is also as a result of that grappling with you know elements of her culture that she's not sure she understands or identifies with or identifies with and clashing with her mother as a result of that but also as a result of the death of her father the show is primarily about her being unable to kind of deal with her grief Hmm. and how she's not what they're advertising it as that's not what they're advertising it as and it, it like i said it is very funny but it is also in the first five minutes and this is just a warning for anybody who might want to watch it and hasn't yet the, there is the scene where her father passes away oh really and yeah and it's really it's really hard <laughs> i think especially for anybody who's lost a parent um and so that is a, a major element of the show that, that really isn't being advertised in the trailers. So, you know, w- warning or heads up for everybody. But right. but I really, I, we devoured it. Like, we binged it. And it's very good. Um, so that's, yeah. That was, that was my big excitement this week was getting to finally watch that. Um, and I also, we also watched another father grief show. I don't know why these shows keep happening, but there's a show on Amazon called Undone. Mm. Have you seen anything for this? No. What's interesting about it is it's, um, it's clearly live action that has been animated. Oh, oh, I know what show you're talking about. I saw ads for it, but I didn't know anything yeah, about it. It's like Waking Life and in that, in that style. Um, yeah. But it's important that they do it that way, I think, because um, because the the main character is maybe suffering from schizophrenia. Oh. And but we're not sure. There's a good chance that she actually is that the things that we see happening to her are actually happening to her. But she's in the perfect position to be disbelieved because her father was also. Uh, potentially schizophrenic. Mm. Um, And so the story is about this young woman who is not necessarily having trouble dealing with her grief for him because he died when she was, or yeah, he died when she was a kid, but she has started seeing him. Right. And he is there now all of a sudden out of, after all this time telling her that, she has the power to go back in time and change the fact that he dies. And he is, and he's there because of um, her ability and they're connecting across time and space. And obviously there's like, you know, there's a lot of um, reason to think that she's seeing things, but then then she knows things about people that they've never told her all of a sudden. Interesting. Through this ability. Um, but it's the animation element makes it 
really trippy to watch, which yeah. I feel like is, uh, you know, kind of important for that concept. Sure. Um, but it's Bob Odenkirk is in it, and the I don't remember the name of the actress, but she was in Alita Battle Angel or something. As that the, movie like the main actress is the main character, and she has these like huge, beautiful eyes. Yes, which, she does. Of course, they were yeah, enhanced I mean, in Alita, but she, her eyes are huge. They're huge in real life, and they come through. They just like pop through in this in this animation. Mm. Um, but she's also she is such a good actor, and she's so funny, and also just like so, um, she breaks your heart. Mm. But anyway, so we watched we watched that like in one sitting, and it was so good. Um, but again, father death themes for anybody who is you know sensitive to those, and I understand. Mm-hmm. why you would be um but yeah there's just like some good shit out right now so you know that's what i'm excited about i like it thanks yeah. thanks very much yeah um but yeah so i i think that's it and i think that that i guess concludes our um third attempt at episode 80 something <laughs> 87 fingers crossed for this one yeah yeah please don't don't ruin our audio Tara we we love you we pray to you and um but on that note I guess follow us on social media please leave us a a review if you have nice things to say especially leave us a review Um, (laughs) yeah send us an email yeah gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we're on all social media basically as gwbb podcast uh patreon.com slash gwbb podcast if you like us enough that you want to be a patron um if you want to do a one-time donation you can buy us a coffee on our ko-fi ko-fi slash gwbb podcast love it i think that covers it all all right so until next time peace out witches goodbye bye listening to good witches bad bitches thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it good witches bad bitches is hosted by deanna greif me you and you (laughs) hannah ferguson and we're produced by benjamin garst um you can find us on itunes stitcher spotify google play google play pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find us there we're also on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter and facebook gwbb podcast you can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us 
Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon